A happy birthday to Vincent Kennedy McMahon, owner of the WWE World Wrestling Entertainment. It's his birthday today, 73 years old for Vinnie Mac. Wow. Happy birthday, Vince. And speaking of some wrestling, if you missed my one-on-one with Mick Foley, the hardcore legend from earlier in the week, I have it pinned on my Twitter. If you're a wrestling fan from the 90s, early 2000s, uh, Mick Foley covers ECW, WCW, WWE, multiple-time world champ, and he's on his Canadian tour starting next week out in Vancouver. Uh, just a, a great conversation at AndyMC81 on Twitter. I have that pinned up so you can check that out there. But Vince McMahon, 73. It seemed like just yesterday he was fighting Stone Cold Steve Austin and horribly taking stunners in the ring. What a legend. Wow. Vince McMahon. Let's get back to our poll questions here. On Twitter, at TSN 1050 Radio, at AndyMC81. By the way, 1220, we'll have Dave Festchuk from the Toronto Stars. Some fantasy football talk. 1240, get you ready for this fantasy football draft. That's for sure to be coming up. Ben Schrager, founder of Fantasy Football Live. That'll be around 1240, 1245-ish. So, a couple of questions here today. Couple, couple questions we put out. Which of these athletes who are outside the spotlight, they're not well-known, they can walk into a store, no problem, but they've made a ton of money. And when you look at their career, or at least an, an instant and a contract, you're like, wow. You're not mad at them necessarily. You're just like, damn. That is a lucky dude. That's great. Here are our options for that. Charles Howell III, two PGA wins and 522 events. Or, and he's, oh, and he's worth 36 mil. That's kind of an important part. Charles Howell III, Guy, guy can walk walk in anywhere. Anywhere. $36 million. I'm going to work out this win percentage right now. Two divided by 522. I'm a public school kid, folks. Give me a minute. And then we times it by 0.38% winning percentage. Joe. Producer Joe Narsa. 30, if someone could say, Joe, uh, you could do what your job is and only be successful at it. 0.38% of the time. And and be be a multimillionaire many times over. Um, sign me up. I, I think I think I could do away with any sort of notoriety for that type of cash. My guess chasing would be so much simpler because out of <laughs> five hundred and two chases, I'd only need to get you two. Wow! It'd Imagine that you're like Joe. Joe, get me this guy, and I'm like, I will not, but oh. I will still make thirty five million dollars over the next ten years. That Joe, you could be the Charles Howell the third of producers. I think everybody's goal in life. Should be the Charles Howell the third of whatever because here's okay. Think about it this way: Charles Howell the third will never be in the spotlight. He'll never be under scrutiny. No, no one will ever care what happens. And he can do whatever he wants and in he his can life. Go anywhere, and nobody will bug him. Like at some point, everybody said, "Oh, like everybody's wanted to be Tiger Woods at one point in their lives." Yeah, but. At some point, you look at the it, stuff it, he has to deal with, and it, it's so frustrating. It, it kind of peaked when his wife ran after him with the golf. And you're like, yeah, I would rather it. be Charles Howell III. Every day. $35 million worth Charles Howell III. Every day. And it's cool because there's a couple golfers that are like that. And like Ian Poulter is a very good example. He's never won a major. Really talented golfer. Mm-hmm. And he's really emotional and raw. And in the Ryder Cup, he always makes a name for himself because he like gets the crowd going and he chirps and he talks trash. But he's never won, but he's exorbitantly rich. But people might know him for making a scene. Charles Howell III, he's flying under the radar. Exactly, because Poulter posts pictures of like he has a Ferrari collection. 
and he has like this amazing house in England, and he has two other houses in the states, and he's he like loving life exactly. But he's in your face, so yeah. you start not liking him. If anything, what people don't understand is we like the people on these polls. I, I don't like Dwayne Bow. Well, it's your fault. Okay, <laughs> you should have taken Farmer out to pasture. Ray the farmer. Ray the farmer. The worst. And he's so, not working in the NFL. So let's do the... If we do the calculations on Dwayne Bowe... Oh. So that's nine divided by five. He made $1.8 million per catch. Per catch in his one year. $9 million, five catches. Highway robbery. Now again, am I mad at Dwayne Bowe for having his buddy say, Hey bro, here's nine mil. Just chill out. No. I would do the same thing. So would all of you. So Dwayne Bow on there, nine million bucks, pretty sweet payday to stand on the sideline and yuck it up wearing diamond earrings. What about Rick DiPietro? How's that for you? Now he had a, he got injured, but sixty-seven and a half million buck contract buyout, being paid one and a half mil till what was it, twenty twenty-three, twenty twenty-nine, whatever. DiPietro twenty-eight twenty-nine. Oh, every every year, you're like, oh, it's that time again. Almost $2 million. Yes. DiPietro. And again, if, if you're walking around, you know Rick DiPietro? Think people on the island care about Rick DiPietro? No. But he's rich and he's married to the former owner's daughter. Tremendous. But my vote goes to X-Raptor. And listen, he, he always had energy ready to spend. He was always ready and never got put in. Yogi Stewart. For the Raptors. Got signed in 1999 to a $24 million extension after making $1 million as a rookie with Sacramento. And he was okay. He, he was fine. And what happened was uh, the Raptors, uh, GM at the time, Babcock, who was horrible, he said, hey, you know what? I, I, think, I think this guy's okay. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign him up. And we're gonna we're gonna give him twenty four million dollars, and he did nothing. He was actually a bench warmer. It's not one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, he did nothing, but you know, then he actually did or came in in garbage time. No, even if you needed a foul, it was we got this, got this, Yogi. We got this. Don't don't even don't even worry about it, Joe. I can't even find this guy's stats. This is how how. Vague and rare. Anybody looking up Yogi Stewart, his numbers are. Like, I'm going to see if I, I think I can get him here. Hold on. Let's see. With the Raptors, $24 million. And his average points. Uh, let's see. How, how's a, a, a 2000, uh, let's see, 2000, 2001, two years into the contract, uh, averaged uh, uh, 1.3 points. He had 1.3 points. How do you average point three of a point? It's great for $24 million. So who would you vote for? At TSN 1050 Radio, at AndyMC81, which of these athletes who are outside the spotlight, who've made tons of money, who you appreciate, which, which situation impresses you the most? Charles Howell III, Rick DiPietro, Dwayne Poe, or Yogi Stewart? So, Andy, over his, four, um, his four-year $24 million contract with the Raptors, mm. He averaged 8.3 minutes per game. Wow. So, like, that's about 656 minutes of playing time a year. <laughs> and we times that by four. Yeah. 
and then 24 million divided by 2642 uh he was making about uh just like nine thousand dollars a minute that's amazing and not to mention he uh his field goal percentage was 0.374 um sweet horrendous for a big guy uh free throws under six oh a little over 60 percent and his overall average points andy yeah overall for his career no, in the four years. Oh, in the four years, okay. 1.4 points per game. Ooh. His career numbers, they dwarf that. 2.2 points per game. This guy had a peak and the Raptors missed it. <laughs> they missed it. His last season in the... the he with averaged, Atlanta. And he averaged 4.6 points per game with San Antonio. And the Raptors were like, yup. Yeah, yeah, with Sacramento. Half of that is like 2.2. Is 2. We'll give him $24 million. There was no logic to this. Do you know he never hit one three-point shot in his career? And he was around for eight years. Here's the... This is how crazy this is. He did nothing with the Raptors. After the article said a good rookie season, he had 4.6 points. That's terrible. He played only 121 games in four years. That's so good. He played 42 games in 42 games, so he wouldn't tire himself out. I mean, the guy, give him a break. Minutes he just signed played. a massive contract. He played. He played on average. Um, if you if you take in outside the Sacramento year where he played 21 minutes average per game, he was like under seven minutes a game. So at one point, so at his peak, he played 21 minutes and he could only average four points. That was his rookie year, and then Sacramento was like, "Uh, we're cool." Raptors said, sign me up, 24 million bones. That's why I loved Yogi Stewart. We got to get him on. He, like, Yogi was like the everyman. And you know what the thing was with Yogi? He was always so positive. He was always had a smile on his face. He was up clapping. I would be thrilled too. It's like, I don't have to do anything and I get $24 million. It's like when people feel yes. bad for the backup goalie. Like when I was younger and I was still playing in net, people would be like, you know, like, what's your goal? And I was like, to be Martin Broder's backup. That's it. And they're like, why? I'm like, you play two games a year, they don't matter. You make a million dollars, you get cool hats. Yep. You get free pads. You get to say you're part of the team. And you get to say you're buddies with Martin Brodeur. Say you're an NHL player for Yogi, you're an NBA player. That was the thing. Like, who's this guy who's always so into it? And it was Yogi Stewart. I, you know what, Joe? Next week, that's your goal. Yogi and Stewart. I, I, I don't, and, and I don't want the Charles Howell uh, 0, 0.3. I can't promise you that. I can't promise you that. If I get a massive, exorbitant raise, then I will Charles Howell it. I can promise you that. Yeah, me Yogi. That. Although, would the interview just essentially be me trying not to make fun of him? No, I think <laughs> I think we could ask him like you you know the pressures of getting paid that much. Was he worried? Did that was that maybe the downfall of his career? Okay, he's probably like man. For there was rookie, no pressure for a rookie big man in like the late nineties. It was mm-hmm. still a big man's game. Sure, and you could get dominated by average big men because they were physical like Charles Oakley was still throwing elbows in guys chins and oh, that wasn't a foul Oak. in 98 oh. except the difference was you actually had to play which Yogi did not he did his best Andy <laughs> give him a break I love him drinks on Yogi though total drink drinks forever on Yogi he was he was tremendous you can vote on that poll we also have our <laughs> little more serious poll our Leafs over under talk for the year over under these numbers. Austin Matthews, we have at 38.5 goals. Mitch Marner, 70.5. William Nylander, 61.5. That's where we left off. Now we go to Freddie Anderson. And on Twitter, at JCB6 writes in, he says, 
over on all of these except Anderson. I doubt he plays as many games as he did last season. He was overworked. Babs will reduce his starts. think he'll have a higher win percentage but less wins because he'll play less games. And that was the point I made that at that 36.5 numbers, Freddie had 38 last year. I'm taking the under because I think you're going to see Garrett Sparks, who should be the backup goalie by all accounts. How do you send a guy back down? He's done everything you asked for. He's won the Calder Cup. Best goalie of the year. Send him back to the minors. I think you got to bring Sparks up. You play him what? Like, McElhaney played 18 games last year. Pickard played one. What's the sweet spot for Sparks to give Freddie a rest here, Joe? I'm thinking, like, in the 25 to 30 range. Keep him. Keep Freddie fresh. You have to make sure he's in a flow still. It's that fine line, that balance. But for Sparks, I want to see what the guy can do and keeping Freddie fresh. Then you're, you have Sparks ready as well in case there's an injury or he goes into a slump or whatever the case might be. I can see, for some reason, I think Freddie's an over. I think, think Freddie's over, over 36 and a half That means wins. he's playing more games, Joe. That, not or necessarily. At least the, or at least the same amount of games. Yeah, well, listen, Mike Babcock has never been the goalie whisperer. He's not very much so into... Overreading into goaltenders. If you're playing well, you're playing. And other than the fact that the Maple Leafs have a structure in which their backup goaltenders play every of the second back-to-back, there's no extra looking into goalies. Babcock has never been that type. He shredded goaltenders since his time in well, in Detroit. Maybe he has to start looking at the numbers in the front office. Has to start saying, "Look, give this kid uh, Spark some more time. Rest Freddie because the guy can get worn out." Well, and to your point, I mean, if you look at Frederick Anderson's numbers over the last three years, at 54 games played with the Anaheim Ducks, he had a 2.38 goals against, 9.14 saves. Then yeah. the next year, he was a little injured, played 43 games, had a 2.3. Now, fast forward to the Maple Leafs, back-to-back season, 66 games played. Right. And in both of those seasons, he was hurt a little bit and missed like about a week, I think like two or three games at the most. Yeah. First year, 2.67 goals against. Last year, inflated to a 2.81 because of the terrible October he had. Yeah, But still, overall, great number. Fantastic play. The numbers are... If you're under three goals against, you're playing at, at... an upper echelon level. Now, what's interesting to me is the save percentage. It didn't drop mm-hmm. after getting almost an extra 150 shots in this season. He was at like 2,029 shots this year, and he still maintained his 918 save. I think the Leafs will be better defensively only because offensively they're going to dominate the puck more. Their centers are going to control faceoffs a lot better. It's that Pittsburgh model from when they exactly. won the cup, Joe. They, if you have enough offensive push, you control the puck more, which means you're in the opposition's end, which means less shots, less pressure on the defense, less pressure on the goaltending. That's the difference. But you're saying over. I, I got to think that if if you want for the Maple Leafs to go deep into the playoffs. And I think this is the mindset that has to switch. If you're in a bad team or whatever, eh, run your goalie into the ground. Who cares? I'm thinking championship, or I'm thinking at least finals for the Maple Leafs. Getting to the show, getting to the conference finals and farther. you got to think long-term all season. You have to have in mind, yeah, sure, the one game at a time, blah, blah, blah. But you got to think long-term, man, you got to keep that goalie fresh. We'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, later on with Dave Festchuk, who will stop by in just a few minutes from the Toronto Star. Talk some Leafs, talk some Raptors, some NFL talk as well. All coming up on TSN 1050. So I'm Andy McNamara with you. Toronto Today on TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, the iHeartRadio app. Having some fun on a Friday. We're talking Maple Leafs over-unders. 
for player points and goal totals. We're talking the athletes you're impressed with the most, who've made the most money, but are out of the spotlight. We'll talk some NFL in a little bit, too. Dave Festchuk from the Toronto Star will stop by in a few minutes. We'll talk some Leafs, talk some Raptors. Busy day and weekend on the station. We got uh, Argonauts tonight into Montreal to take on the Alouettes. Uh, Johnny Manziel will not play, but it looks like he is uh, recovered or recovering still from that concussion. But all accounts show that he should be, as long as there's no further setbacks, ready for next week against the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, But for the Argonauts, big game. Big game, especially with the Hamilton Ticats winning last night against Edmonton 25-24. You now have, for the Argos, at 3-5, and you have to now look at this as you got to put the boots to the outlets. You cannot have a situation where you get upset or fall behind because you're going to be in a dogfight for that second spot. There'll be a West crossover. You got to be ready. We're ready right now for Dave Festcheck of the Toronto Star. Dave, how's it going? Andy, doing great, man. Oh, good. And I was I was sharing earlier when you were on with me at the NHL Free Agents uh, uh, Frenzy Show, and we were talking about John Tavares, and it was, oh, isn't this great? And then you you stopped this, and uh, Andy, sorry to interrupt, but uh, LeBron James just went to the Lakers. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> <What is> <laughs> Right, yeah, like wasn't that wasn't that wild? That was so much fun. It was just such a crazy day. Such a crazy day. So many uh, emotions with the Leaf fans that have carried over from that all the way into the season. And I want to start you with some over unders. We're doing that on the show today for Leaf goals and point total. So I'll take you through a few here and and get your thoughts because this this Leaf dynamic I think is fascinating. How the lines are put together, how the power plays are put together, who plays with who, and how it affects point totals. So. Let's begin with the golden boy, Austin Matthews. We've set the over-under at 38.5 goals. He had 34 goals in 62 games last year. You going over or under for Austin? It's hard not to go over, isn't it? I mean, mm. I think, you know, I've been listening to the show, and I, I love the topic because it's a, it's a fun one to contemplate. Yeah. You haven't seen, haven't seen a game yet. You haven't even seen a training camp skate. But we do know this about this team, man. They're, they're, they're so deep up the middle now uh, between Matthews, Tavares, and, and Kadri. And whoever happens to be the fourth line center, whether it's Par Lindholm or, or whoever, um, that you have to believe if you're if you're handicapping this stuff, that it benefits everybody, right? Yeah. Like that it benefits everybody, and and it's and I think you know the, the chief benefactor might be might be Austin Matthews because mm. no longer can an opposing coach just load up on the Matthews line, right? And no longer can an opposing coach say, okay, if we take that line out of it maybe in the way that the Boston Bruins did in, in the opening round of the playoffs, you know, we can, we can beat this team. Um, you have, you see, I, I would have to go over on that by, by quite a bit, because I think, look, we, we know a couple of things. We know that we know they're deep. And we also know, you know, Mike Babcock did something really unusual in the off season. And he talked about how he was going to, you know, structure his lines a little bit. And I, I have to believe that that might've come out of the little conversation he had at a kitchen table in Scottsdale, Arizona, with with the Matthews family, hmm. and you know, you notice, you'll notice, Andy. I think I, I noticed. I think most most observers noticed. What did he talk about? He talked about not playing Zach Hyman on Matthews' line anymore. Mm-hmm. So the idea that they, you know, and as, as good as Zach is, I mean, he, we all know he's one of the great grinders in the sport right now. Uh, it, it does seem to be a bit of a point of contention in some camps that Hyman didn't have the hands to be fit playing with a skilled player like, like Matthews. So the idea that, that Matthews is going to have 
even more even more skilled line mates uh, to take a little bit of the pressure off. The fact that he may get a little more ice time because that seems to be have been a gripe, and, and you have to imagine uh, it'll be addressed. And the fact that he's going to have you know more support down the lineup that's a big time over for me. Oh yeah, and, and Dave, you're so right. And this I, I can't overstate this enough. The fact that. Teams, as you said, can't load up on Matthews. They also can't load up on Tavares. And each of them can complement. If someone's having an off night or in a little bit of a slump, you can balance that. And if you tweak the lines to put them with skilled players to benefit and not get hung up on, well, Hyman's a good grinder guy and kind of that old school feel, but really try to match up the talents, then you could have something special. So let's move from Matthews to John Tavares. And, well, he ran into the same problem with the island. One, he was on a very bad Islanders team. And two, he was always the focal point. He's uh, never scored 40 goals, and his high point was 86. We set the line at John Tavares at 80 and a half points. Are you feeling the over seeing that? Well, hey, a team, as you said, can't load up on one line. Well, that's an intriguing one because, I mean, there were, there were some red flags around John Tavares when the discussion uh, materialized about whether or not it was worth signing him to a long-term mm-hmm. deal. At age uh, age twenty seven, and one of the things I looked at it was, hey, this is a guy who's, you know, he had his high water mark for points back in twenty fifteen when he had eighty six, and yeah. then twenty fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen, those two years back to back, he went seventy sixty six. So he looked to be in a little bit of decline until last year when he when he popped back to eighty four. So is this a guy in decline, or is this a guy who still is in his prime? That that's going to be one of the great storylines of the year. My my thinking on this though, it's not so much about John Tavares. It's who John Tavares is going to be playing with. Here. Yes. Again, this is not about. This is another situation where it's going to be about strength in numbers. And the idea that this guy is going to be on the same line as Mitch Marner. I mean, for my money, the two the two most creative, uh, visionary type players that we've seen come through the Toronto area, uh, maybe outside of McDavid in the past uh, twenty years. And I, I watched them both play a little bit of minor hockey. And, minor midget and, and into junior and and man these two guys i mean it seems like to me like a match made in heaven it really does and and, and if i'm you know so if i'm if, if i'm picking this one in particular andy i'm going over on Tavares, and i'm signing mitch marner to a long-term deal before this season so i don't have to ah. deal with the, with the fallout of a massive point total that, that he's going to put up here playing alongside Tavares. well and that takes us to the the marner one of 70 and a half points and this is where I think what we we want to see out of Marner is maybe I don't necessarily need that many more goals because of the playmaking, but I I don't want that slump. He had that that really slow start and picked it up as far as scoring goals, but yeah, the creativity it just seems endless because again you cannot load up on one line and then you sprinkle in the power play opportunities too for Mitch Marner. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and and look, I mean. Let's not forget here, uh, you know, we, this will be an eternal debate uh, as Mitch Marner's career goes on about, you know, is he succeeding because of the way Mike Babcock has handled him or in spite of the way Mike Babcock has handled him? And, I, and last year, to me, it was inexplicable what went on with Mitch Marner, you know, throwing him down on the fourth line, yeah. playing him with the guys he was played with. Uh, it made no sense to me. And then, of course, we saw what happened uh, in in late January. I was on that trip when they, in Dallas, the famous night in Dallas, with when Babcock shook up the lines and put Marner with some decent line mates. And what do you know? I mean, what what do you know? What happened? You know, he had he exploded in February. February is his best month of the season. He had 18 points in 14 games. He exploded in March, and he led the team in scoring in the playoffs. Uh, what a shock that if you put 
a great <laughs> player with great vision, with great pl- with other good players, he'll do really well. And if you put him on the fourth line, he won't. I mean, that's, <laughs> that to me. <laughs> so, so I don't know that I, maybe that's Mike Babcock's idea of sports psychology one on one, and maybe he thinks he's a master manipulator, master motivator. You know, I guess that's going to be a debate for another day. But but for this one. The idea that this guy's playing with John Tavares, I mean, that's a no-brainer over. I mean, and, and the thing about this conversation is it sounds irrationally exuberant in a way that maybe Leaf, Leaf fans and Toronto fans are sometimes accused of being with unjust cause. But mm-hmm. I just, you know, I just have a hard time, you know, being the naysayer here, Andy, and I, I love to do that by, <laughs> by nature. But in this particular case, I just, I just have a hard time saying under any of these numbers. Well, Dave, I love what you brought up there with when he was demoted to the fourth line, and you take all that into account that season, and he still led the team in points. So imagine with being paired with John Tavares, having a quality opposite winger there, and being able to have a full season in that. Yeah, this guy, this guy could bust it wide open. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, like I don't I don't um, you know I'm I don't cheer. I'm not I'm not a fan of any particular team, but I'm I'm definitely a fan of athletic genius. Like I love seeing people that do things that very people can do. And for me, Mitch Marner is one of those people. Just in terms of his ability to open up space and see 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 lanes and 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 possibilities that nobody else or very few other players in history have seen. Uh, I'm intrigued to see the kinds of lanes that he observes. Playing with such an you know almost equally comp, uh, comp, you know creative player in in Johnny Tavares, right? And and to be able to to get to see great players be great that's that's what I'm a fan of. See the great yeah, ones be gonna, great. It's going to be fun, man. It's gonna, you know the only the only you know you hate to be the naysayer. The only thing that could derail this thing would be injuries, and that's that's a bit of a lottery in the NHL. But yeah, hey, we also know we also know the Leafs have. If it, whatever part of it isn't a lottery, whatever can be controlled in terms of the injuries, and that that goes down to players' diet and training and recovery and all that stuff. I don't think there's a team in the league that's invested more than the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, so you have to believe that they're doing everything you can possibly do to uh, to sort of avert that kind of uh, doomsday sort of a scenario. In conversation with Dave Festchuk of the Toronto Star on Twitter at dfestchuk. Let's move to goaltending. And Dave, this is the most interesting over-under to me. Because, yeah, we look at Matthews, Marner, all the possibilities. But Freddie Anderson, we set the line at 36 and a half wins. Last year, coming out, he had 38 wins. And it's not that a drop in wins means he's playing poorly. It just means that the workload would be decreased, which has been seen as a problem. Let's say if Garrett Sparks comes up and takes some of the workload. Where are you putting the over-under on wins for Freddie Anderson? Well, I like the under here for, for the very too. reason you're the, the very reason you're uh, you're outlining pretty well there, Andy. And I think, look, if you if you look at um, if you look at Freddie Anderson's season last year, everybody talks about, boy, you know, his numbers were brought down by a terrible October. But you know, if you if you just measure it by save percentage, you know what his worst month was? It was March. You know, he hmm. was eight eighty four. He was eight eighty four in March, and I, and I remember observing around that time that. It what looked like you know clear signs of fatigue in, in the guy, and you know Freddie Anderson's a one of the most uh, stand up people in, in the sport that I've come across. I mean, he, he's never going to complain, and and rarely will he acknowledge a weakness, right? I mean, he's a, he's he's definitely a guy who who grins and bears his troubles, and isn't isn't gonna isn't gonna uh, beat you know bitch about them. But um, he looked tired to me, and yeah. so. So I would think, you know, you know, again, we're not coaching this team. The all-knowing, all-powerful Mike Babcock is. But you, you have to believe. You have to believe. If you just watching what we watched, that you have to believe it's a good idea not to play this guy so much. Because in the last two years since you got to Toronto, 
No goalie in this league has faced more shots and had to make more saves than Freddie Anderson. So um, that, that to me, that, that doesn't bode well for success down the stretch. And if you look at it, he was, he was really sluggish looking in March. And that carried on into the playoffs when he, when he wasn't particularly you know, outstanding at all. In fact, probably a little subpar in the playoffs. Uh, maybe, maybe more than a little subpar in the playoffs. Hmm. I mean, and again, small sample size, but we did see it. We saw it building, and it wasn't a shock, right? When, when Freddie Anderson didn't bail them out in the playoffs, I wasn't shocked. I don't think anybody was because he wasn't building up to that. He was regressing as the season went on. And I, I have to believe that was fatigue-related, and I have to believe the Leafs managed it differently this, this year. So, yeah, I'm, I'm under on the number of wins simply because he's going to have fewer opportunities to get them. Exactly. And I, I think, Dave, what we what we as fans to expect and what the organization, I think, with the signing of John Tavares has done is put the the urgency to win at the forefront. This isn't no... Like, if you have a bad team, yeah, run your goalie. Who, you know, whatever. All right, cause just do it. But this is a team that is expected now. The mindset isn't just, oh, cool, let's make the playoffs, that's fun. It's, let's get to the finals. Let's get to the conference finals. Let's get to the Stanley Cup finals. And, my God, let's try to win it. So if you're taking that mindset, then you have to manage the goaltending better because of those numbers you laid out, Dave. You want to be peaking going into the playoffs. You don't want your, your starting goalie to be run down. That, that's exactly it, and I mean, and that might be one of the benefits of being in the Atlantic Division, a division that is so top heavy, mm-hmm. where the top three teams are, are, are awfully good, and, and there's a real fall off for the rest of the crew of, of uh, bedraggled uh, strugglers. <laughs> that's a great um, word, you know. So, I mean, <laughs> seriously, like, like, does anybody really believe any of those, any of those bottom? Uh, bottom feeding Atlantic teams are going to pose a real threat this year. I mean, we we do see bounce backs in this league, and 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 yeah, this isn't the NBA. The line between the really good teams and the not so good teams is, isn't nearly as big as it is in basketball. But um, I still think you know Tampa, Boston, Toronto are are are, are fairly big gap uh, built a fairly big gap between the rest of the division rivals. So you you have to believe that that almost it gets close to assuring them a playoff spot as long as as long as they're not decimated by injuries or some crazy uh crazy other event so that should give them the luxury of not having to press freddie anderson like they've pressed him uh in the in the past two seasons again mike babcock's an impatient guy i'm not i'm not betting that babcock's going to play him less because i mean we know he wants to win every night and we know that he is very impatient when it comes to uh backup goalies uh jonas enroth can tell you that i mean (laughs) with his cup of coffee here um, so, you know, it's, it's, there's no guarantees. Like if, if Garrett Sparks isn't the guy, if, uh, if, if they don't get, you know, the kind of play they want from the backup, you know, maybe, maybe it'll be another situation where Freddie Anderson's playing 66 or 68 games. Uh, I just don't think that would be wise. And I think it, no matter who you got in the backup slot all year, uh, even if it's multiple people, I think you're better off trying to preserve your number one guy so that, as you point out, you know, it'd be, it'd, you know he's, he's fresh for the playoff drive. So, Dave, where do you go for the backup goalie position? Like, I'm, I'm leaning all the way towards Sparks because I think at some point you have to reward great play. And with taking the workload down from Freddie Anderson, you can play Sparks more. Guys won the goaltender of the year in the AHL, won the Calder Cup. My fear begins, if you start sending him down, the message is, well... Okay, you've done all this. You're not rewarded. So for me, I want Sparks up there day one and to be the the, the, the top secondary goaltender to play quite a few games. Where do you go? Do you like McElhaney, Sparks? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I my, my, my default kind of falls in line with your thinking, Andy. I mean, 
I also think, look, yeah, Garrett Sparks is probably deserve probably deserves a chance. I mean, in fact, yeah. more than probably, definitely deserves a chance. And the fact that he's 25 years old, I mean, we've seen guys come into the league at older ages, but you know, now is the time. I think mm-hmm. you know this would this would be a good time to give him a chance. I think it's almost a no-brainer in some ways because um, as long as as long as Sparks obviously performs to a, to a decent level in training camp and and uh, whenever else he's tested and auditioned, um, you know, when you look at when you look at the attachment that Kyle Dubas has to that Marley's team, you have to believe there's a little bit of that going on too, right? Mm-hmm. You have to believe that the guys that won that Calder Cup were going to be looked on favorably by this organization, especially if they show signs of being able to help this organization. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think, I think it's, it, it would be highly surprising to me if, if uh, Garrett Sparks did not get a, a decent run at, uh, at this role. Um, but Curtis, hey, Curtis McElhinney has you know, done nothing, uh, nothing but good things in he a lot of well. ways for this franchise. He's, he's been very dependable. He, uh, by all accounts, he's a great citizen. Uh, you know, there's, been no, there's been no issues in that locker room, no goalie controversy. Which is obviously, you know, in, in a town like this, I think I think it's appreciated. But uh, and when you look at, you know, McElhinney's numbers these past two years have been very, you know, very very uh, respectable. Last year, you know, nine thirty four save percentage in, in whatever it was fifteen starts, eleven wins. I mean, it's hard to ask for more than that. So you talk about Garrett Sparks deserves an opportunity. Well, I guess the counter to that would be what what did Carlos McElhinney do to lose the opportunity? Yeah, <laughs> and so. Yeah. And so it'll be an interesting one. I mean, I, I think it's good to have options, right? It was always a bit concerning um, if you were a Leaf fan to me that they only really had one backup last year, and it, and it seemed, you know, or for a lot of last year until maybe until you got a little more comfortable with the form of, of, of uh, Sparks. But um, yeah, I, it, this, it could if I guess you know, on a team with a lot of with a lot of certainty uh, on the forward lines and, and certainly probably some certainty that they, uh, that they rather maybe not have on the defense because it, it seems certain that it's not going to improve that much. Uh, maybe that's the one, that's the one uh, you know, role on this team that's up for debate, which is who will be the backup goalie on a day-to-day basis. Man, I, I love these off-season chats, and training camp will be here before we know it. Dave, thank you so much, man. Great chat with you, Andy. All right, you too. Have a great weekend. Dave Festchuk. Toronto star, columnist, one of the all-time great guys. Love Dave. On Twitter, at DFestchuck. After the break, we'll get you ready for your fantasy football draft. More tips, more info, more rankings. Ben Schrager, founder of Fantasy Football Live, joins me next, right here on Toronto Today. Back to wrap up Toronto Today here on TSN 1050, TSN 1050.ca, the iHeartRadio app. I'm Andy McNamara. Happy Friday, everybody. Enjoy the weekend. You can still vote in our Twitter polls at AndyMC81, at TSN 1050 Radio. Vote on our Leafs over-unders for the season. But now that week three of the NFL preseason, this is the dress rehearsal week, folks. Started last night when my Browns shut out Joe Narses, our producer's defending champion Philadelphia Eagles, by a sweet score. Super Bowl MVP. Of 5 nothing, hypothetically, yeah. <laughs> 5 nothing kicks off. And this is the dress rehearsal game. This is when you have to pay attention to injuries, to battles for starters. And after this, it's just holding on to the regular season. So perfect time to talk some fantasy football. Let's bring in founder, CEO of Fantasy Football Live, Ben Schrager. Ben, how's it going, man? Good. How are you doing? Thanks um, for having me on. Oh, no problem. Thank you. So I, I want to start with, and at uh, Football Live, the Fantasy Football Live Twitter account, uh, you commented, it said, Dalvin Cook 
will be just fine and why Cook owners shouldn't worry about Latavius Murray. And we saw Cook, he was starting to really build first game, had 127 rushing yards, was mixing in some receiving options as well, and looked to be on his way to being a stud when he went down with injury after that October 1st game. Why should, if you're drafting Dalvin Cook, not be worried about Latavius Murray in the background there? So Dalvin Cook is a top five talent, but he's not being drafted until the 10th running back off the board. And so basically Latavius Murray will be involved early on. He's going to have some red zone touches, but Dalvin Cook's price at running back number 10 makes him an easy target in drafts because we saw in the first couple weeks last year, the guy's a stud, and if he has a full season of health, I think he could easily be a top five running back. Right, and with some upgraded quarterback play as well with Kirk Cousins, right? You never know out of the backfield finding him the ball a little bit there. So, uh, yeah, Dalvin Cook owners, or if you're going after him, you can get a value there on Cook. Let's get to QB strategy here, Ben, okay? Quarterback strategy. This is every year we get these questions. When do you draft a quarterback? Is When is too late? How much of a difference really is there if you draft an Aaron Rodgers compared to, let's say, a Jared Goff who might go a little bit later? What's your fantasy football draft quarterback strategy? So you mentioned Rodgers. I love taking Rodgers early. Now, by early, I mean the third or fourth round. Because last time Rodgers was healthy, 2016, he averaged – Six more points per game than Russell Wilson, oh. the 12th quarterback. Wow. That's unreal. However, you go beyond Rodgers, Tom Brady, guys like that, Russell Wilson, I don't like drafting early. Last year, Tom Brady was the third quarterback overall. He only had 1.6 more points per game than Phillip Rivers, who was the 13th quarterback. So you, you think hmm. about that, the parts of my quarterback strategy are either Rodgers in the third or fourth round, or wait until the 8th, ninth, 10th round and snag one or two quarterbacks then who are really going to get you the same production as a Tom Brady, Russell Wilson. Very minimal difference, and you could load up on running back and wide receivers early on. And Yeah, and get those guys a little bit later. Now, where do you put somebody like... A Jared Goff, because you saw the numbers last year. Todd Gurley has been prolific, and if you could, if you have a, a high draft pick, top three or four pick in your draft, you could probably take a Todd Gurley and then try to couple him up maybe with Jared Goff later. And it just seems under that new coaching staff last year, he flourished over 3,800 yards, just seven interceptions and 28 touchdowns. That seems to me, Ben, like a guy who you might be able to get a little bit later on and still just name recognition might be under the radar. Yeah, so Jared Goff, he's going in the 11th round. Think about how late that is compared mm-hmm. to these other guys. Now, if you get a Jared Goff, things aren't so certain. I'm fine taking another quarterback like a Rivers or a Pat right. Mahomes. And, but you can afford to do that because it's the 11th round. And I do like Jared Goff this year, especially at his price point. That's, it, it all comes down to, in fantasy drafts, what the price is. I don't want you spending a fifth-round pick on Jared Goff. Mm-hmm. You're getting him in the 11th round. He's in a prolific offense with an improved defense. It's really going to be a really good offense. Gurley is going to be the top guy in the offense, but Goff is a guy who you're going to get in the late round. He's going to give you production week to week, and you can pair him with another low-end quarterback, and you won't spend any draft capital on the position. Yeah, and, and he likes to spread the ball around, so it's not like he's dependent on one receiver early, uh, as well, which can be effective. In conversation with Ben Schrager, founder and CEO of Fantasy Football Live, he's on Twitter, at Ben Swaga, and the uh, Fantasy Football Live, at F Football Live. So when you mentioned Pat Mahomes, and when it comes to 
rookie quarterbacks, and I'll consider Pat kind of like a, a, a mini rookie here because he was on the Chiefs last year, played in one game, has looked pretty good in the preseason. The unknown quarterbacks, Ben, when it comes to starting rookies, starting a guy like Mahomes who has weapons, but you just don't know, and sometimes those interceptions can creep up for inexperienced quarterbacks. Are they more of a, a QB2 type for you as kind of a, a backup, or what's your strategy in that sense? Exactly what you're saying. The last fantasy-relevant rookie quarterback was Andrew Luck, and we all know how good Andrew Luck was in the years that he did play. So the thing with a guy like Mahomes, or even if you're thinking about Baker Mayfield, you know, maybe he plays 10 games this year and does really well. You need them as your second quarterback. If you're going to draft a Mahomes, he's also going in the 11th round. Pair him with a Matt Ryan, Phillip Rivers, Jared Goff, because you get the upside of Mahomes, and we know he has a great deep ball. We don't really know how accurate he's going to be, but you don't have to rely on him as your quarterback one. And Patrick Mahomes could win you your league. Think about like a Watson or a Wentz early on last Mm -hmm. year. That could be Mahomes this year. However, don't only draft Mahomes because you're putting yourself at a big risk. Right, right. Yeah, you have that kind of as the the safety net. So if he pops, you can go right to him. So, no, I I like that. Uh, In conversation with Ben Schrager, founder of Fantasy Football Live, and this NFL Fantasy Football guest is delivered by Domino's, folks. You can grab a medium-feast pizza for only $10.99. Try the delicious side dishes like pasta, boneless chicken, marbled cookie, brownie for dessert. Visit dominoes.ca today. One more quarterback question for you here, Ben. Andrew Luck. You mentioned him. We know when this guy is on... He is one of the best in all of football. Now, one of the concerns, of course, with Indianapolis was that Civ-like offensive line. They spent the third overall pick, got Quentin Nelson. little help there. Running game, I'm still not sold on. Receiver options are so-so. Where are you taking Andrew Luck? Because this almost seems like you have to have uh, an Andrew Luck and then more of a safety-sure thing in case either he goes down or he struggles out of the gate. And that's the unfortunate thing. Throughout the summer, Luck was going in the 10th round. His price has popped all the way up until the eighth round, which is too early for my liking. If you can get luck in the ninth or tenth round, I love it because then you're comfortable pairing him with another late-round guy. But spending an eighth-round pick on luck, who, to be honest, we don't know what Andrew Luck we're getting. It's been two years since we've actually seen him on the field succeed. So I'm scared to have luck as my only quarterback. Now, I love his upside. And, again, the strategy of pairing him with another guy late is really really good and could win you your league but don't draft andrew luck i've seen him creep into the top five quarterbacks in the draft don't don't let it happen there's a lot of other good options out there if you want a top five top six guy a carson wentz a drew Brees would be in the same price range andrew luck just there's too much risk to draft him early on but if you're going to get him in the ninth or tenth round, I think that's awesome. Yeah, sure, pick him up. Uh, one more for you here, Ben. Late round wide receivers. It seems like each year there's a couple wide receivers that pop up, maybe come out of nowhere, or or were there and kind of fly under the radars. Can you give me a couple of late round receivers to keep an eye on? Oh, my favorite one is Robbie Anderson. He's going in the eighth round. There's no reason for him to be going that late. He was a top 10 receiver last year with Josh McCown in the 13 weeks they played together. And his situation hasn't changed at all outside of the fact that he may be having Sam Darnold throwing the ball, Hmm. which would be even better. And Robbie Anderson, he is a favorite target on the Jets. They have no other options. And he actually scores four points more per game when the Jets are underdogs. 
and you tell me how many games the Jets are going to be underdogs this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, quite quite a few. The Robbie Anderson, I like that one. Okay, Ben. So hey. Rob, Robbie Anderson is the best. My, the other one who you have to target and draft is Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb. The last time he was Rodgers' number two option, he was the fantasy wide receiver six, and he's also going in the eighth round. So those are my two big guys, Robbie Anderson, Randall Cobb. Pick him up in the eighth, eighth round. I like it, Ben. Great stuff, buddy. Thank you so much for taking the time. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. All right, Ben Schrager, founder of Fantasy Football Live. You can find him on Twitter at FFootballLive. So there you go, folks. Some fantasy football tips as we head into and continue on the NFL preseason. Let's get uh, finish the show off with some updates on our over-under Maple Leafs question here. We have 38.5 goals for Austin Matthews, 70.5 points. For Mitch Marner, 61.5 points for William Nylander, 36.5 wins for Freddie Anderson, 32 goals for Nazem Kadri, or 80.5 points for John Tavares. Uh, on Twitter, at bchu 98 says, For Matthews, Marner, Nylander, over. Under for Anderson and wins. Kadri for points, under 32, or goals, under 32. Interesting there. And John Tavares, over 80.5 points. Joe, as we get ready to wrap up the show, Nazem Kadri, we haven't touched on him yet. This guy, almost quietly, because of all the fanfare around Austin Matthews, has been an absolute stud after being kind of in that bridge contract limbo, people not quite sure what to expect. But now you look at Nazem Kadri and you got to think, man, this guy is a legit uh, contributor when it comes to scoring goals. He's got that little grit X factor. You can play him just about anywhere. And depending on who he's paired with, you have somebody who is going to see lower quality defenders from opposing teams, whereas he was jacked up a line next year. Like, this could be coming off of back to back 32 goal seasons. I wonder for Nazem Kadri. I think it, of Nazem Kadri now as a 30 goal scorer. So that's He's done where. two years in a row. I will say I will take the under, mm-hmm. but I will take the under at like 31. Like, ju- like just under. And I think it yeah. has to come down to because there's so much. Puck to spread to, to spread around here. What could be an X factor for Nazem Kadri could also be the fact that the forward units are going to change significantly on the power yeah. play now because you don't have that JVR Bozak Marner set, setup you right. have as your second system or first system depending on how it's going. So you could see a change in where Nazem Kadri is playing. He might play the point. He might be mm. a little bit closer into the slot, taking that uh, Bozak spot on the left side instead of being. You know, on the opposite side, or being down low as a feed, like feeding the puck up top. So change his. It's amazing too. He scored 32 goals in consecutive seasons, but also the exact same amount of power play goals in consecutive years at 12. Yeah, and it's funny because for a guy who scored 32 goals, the most memorable portion of his season came in the beginning of the season where he elbowed Connor McDavid off of the puck <laughs> and battled yeah. and played great defensively. Like. This player went from the guy that I was like, he is going to be the wrong type of person to have in the dressing room. He doesn't have it. He's mentally not ready. To a must-have. To a must-have, and teams love this guy, and he's a pain to play against, and he's, I think, under 3,200%, and Johnny T, over 80.5. I'm going to go... I think I'm with you, Joe. I'm going to go just under for Nazem Kadri. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if he goes over because of that differing type of defender he's going to be up against. And the question again is going to be where, as you said, where does he pair up on the power play? And who, at regular strength, at even strength, who are his line mates going to be? Can he, can he create with whoever is put with him? But yeah, Nazem Kadri for a third line, you have a guy third line center who 
could play a second-line centerman. That's where the Leafs' strength is, right down the middle. Tavares, Matthews, Kadri, Anderson in between the pipes. Boy, training camp's coming up, folks. What, two and a half weeks away? Three weeks away? Going to be here before we know it. That'll do it for me for this Friday. So for producer Joe Narsa and Steve Eliopoulos, I'm Andy McNamara. The Scott McCarthy Show is up next. I'll be back with you tomorrow at 11 a.m. for my NFL show TSN 4 Downs right here on TSN 1050.